This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Cam, good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, I think most of the team actually at the moment is out shoveling their driveways. We have a a solid uh, seven to eight inches of snow here in Cambridge. Yep. Same here in Sturbridge. Um, Quite a beautiful view out there. (laughs) A winter wonderland. (laughs) This week, well, there were a few big questions I think investors are debating on the global economic outlook as we enter this new year. Um, seems to be the focus is on current the current surge in COVID cases and rising inflation, which both contain many layers in themselves. Um, the coronavirus surge is delaying the reopening of countries. It almost feels like we take two steps forward and one step back. Do you th- think the global recovery is likely to be sustained? In the broadest sense, I think, you know, this will be another year of economic growth. Um, The nice, smooth trajectory so beloved of many investors, I think, will elude us. Um, You know, it looks like it's going to be a tricky year in a geopolitical sense. And uh, as you mentioned, every time we think we've gotten on top of COVID, uh, something new emerges. You know, you raised a lot of questions in your introduction, all valid. Uh, you know, what I saw in the flows during the, you know, the first week of 2022 was uh, a lot of investors considering those questions and not really having an answer. Um, if I was surprised at anything, it was how many fund groups got inflows, but most of those inflows were fairly modest. There wasn't really a sort of a standout group. Um, greatest conviction, I think, was as, as has been the case for much of the past uh, 12 months uh, shown in the sector space, um, uh, SRIESG remains uh, a very reliable uh, way to uh, pull in fresh money. And uh, there was a notable bounce back in the uh, flows to inflation-protected bond funds. Which sectors saw the most conviction this week? Well, energy, which was not surprising given that uh, you know, ships have been kind of zigzagging across the ocean if they happen to be full of liquefied natural gas because there's uh, so many enticing options price-wise to um, disgorge your cargo. Uh, healthcare sector funds remain popular. Obviously, um, the debate about uh, where the Omicron variant is going to take us keeps keeps the whole issue of healthcare and vaccinations and and uh, vaccine development uh, front and center. 
Uh, real estate had a, had a good week. Um, real estate, a classic inflation hedge, and uh, certainly globally, real estate has been having uh, a good innings with all of the stimulus. Uh, though there does seem to be a consensus that that might stumble this week. Right, and I think all of those sectors pulled in over a billion dollars this this past week in December. The eurozone inflation rose to a new record, and for the Federal Reserve announced it would raise its benchmark interest rate as soon as March, which is a bit earlier than expected. Will current political or economic pressures cause central banks to move more slowly or quickly in their approach to lower inflation? Well, that's one of the questions that I think is is sort of keeping people uh, up at night. You know, central banks used to be primarily in the business of containing inflation and maintaining a sound currency. Uh, their remit now expands to things like employment uh you know, underwriting, uh, government borrowing. Um, and so it's a much more complicated balancing act for them. There's certainly a credibility issue here. It's been interesting that the, the Fed signal has not sort of triggered a major sell-off, a major panic. You know, there's been some adjustments. But uh, I think the main takeaway is that it's restored some of the credibility uh, that was sort of quietly leaching away the longer the Fed stuck to its transitory narrative for inflation. Uh, though crystal balls are pretty foggy at the moment, uh, there's certainly more risks to inflation remaining sticky and high. And um, you know, we've seen some major employers in the in the past few months uh, give pretty notable. Uh, wage hikes. Uh, you know, one of the major UK retailers uh, just gave its staff a five percent hike. You know, Amazon last year established a sort of fifteen dollar an hour basis. Um, there's certainly going to be, I think, political consequences uh, as the year goes on. Um, you know, inflation does erode uh, purchasing power and people's uh, sense of how well off they are. Part of the narrative for the coming year, the optimistic narrative, is that the uh, accumulated uh, COVID uh, period savings would move and you know, boost consumption and lift economic growth. That was true in patches last year, but there's still an awful lot of money uh, squirreled away. Um, the assets in our, the U.S. money market funds that we track uh, are still up over a billion from the start of the pandemic in 2020. And even though the personal savings rate in the U.S. has sort of trended down towards its sort of pre-COVID levels, the money that was saved when it was, you know, up in double digits, uh, a lot of that still has to move. If people think they're looking at inflationary future, you know, we've been dealing with inflation where the goal was to make people think that prices would rise enough that it made more sense to buy something now rather than wait for the price to drop, which is the the, you know, the, the classic uh, consumption issue with deflation. But 
Uh, if you go too far the other way and people keep getting socked with bills that are much higher than they at least were mentally prepared for, uh, that can sort of trigger a very defensive, uh, got squirrel away, bigger buffers type of mindset. So um, how quickly inflation does get addressed and contained is going to be one of the key factors to how this year plays out in an economic and a mutual fund flows sense. So what else are investors concerned or maybe looking forward to for 2022? Well, in terms of looking forward to, uh, there are certainly comfortable institutional investors, I should say, are comfortable that um, you know the best of the bunch in a geographic sense are um, China and the U.S., uh, you know, two big economies with strong domestic demand bases and control of their currencies. Uh, in the U.S., the thinking is that those uh, sort of excess savings that I just referred to will continue to move this year, providing uh, enough fuel to offset any tightening uh, that the Fed might embark upon. China is uh, heading towards a, a major Communist Party Congress at the end of the year, Uh Policymakers there have been signaling very clearly that their goal for sort of the coming 10 months or so is uh, steady and quote-unquote stable uh, growth. So um, at least in the short run, uh, sort of putting money in both of those markets is probably as good a bet uh, as you can make. Smaller emerging markets, smaller developed markets, they're certainly in fund flow terms, not much sign of appetite. Uh, Frontier markets funds have struggled now for a while. We saw Greece equity funds record their biggest outflow this week uh, since the early 2020. Um, So big and safe seems to be (laughs) a sort of a a short-term strategy. Are we seeing any shifts in focus in the emerging market space or for the developed market space? I know you briefly mentioned a few. Not a lot, to be honest. But one thing that was different this week was that uh, um, Europe equity funds snapped uh, a fairly lengthy outflow streak. and, you know, I think that was triggered um, by a sense, certainly among professional investors, that, uh, you know, Omicron's transmissibility is, is uh, you know, is high, but it's, you know, its impact on the health of most people who get it is not terribly high, um, you know, and certainly people in my family, broader family, have gotten it and describe it as a bad cold. Uh, those are younger people who've gotten it. So I think the feeling is that um, you, Europe reacted very strongly to this latest round, uh, you know, dusted off some of the restrictive measures they deployed for earlier waves. Um but Omicron is so uh, transmissible that in some senses, you know, you, 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 it's sort of a finger in the dike uh, process um, and uh, with mortality rates, you know, not tracking the, the takeoff in infections, uh, sort of a modest consensus seems to be emerging that uh, Europe will 
take a turn towards the liberalizing uh, sooner rather than later. All right. Well, thank you for all of your insight. Good. And uh, yeah, enjoy the exercise shoveling snow. I think I'll, I'll have to start now. <laughs> uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.